Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brindle, and while I would normally be joined by Justin Berg, he is somewhere in a cabin um, doing some weird shit to uh, get ready for the the birth of his new child. I, I'm, I don't really know what exactly it all entails, but he'll be back Thursday for coverage of the Temple game, but I am moving tomorrow out to the country, kind of. Moving out to uh, Independence, Kentucky. Studio will probably be down for about a week. So I wanted to get a podcast in. And since he's such a big Bearcat basketball fan as well, I'm now joined by none other than David Simone doing, uh, you know, pulling a, a new duty this week and filling in for Justin Berg here on the basketball podcast. Dave, how you doing, buddy? Wonderful, Chad. Thanks for having me. I hope Berg isn't doing some crazy seance like crap or some other god fearing worshiping thing in some cabin out in the middle of nowhere with no electricity and only candlelight and i hope he has heat. fire to keep them going as long as he's got some kind of heat i think he should be okay but if he doesn't have heat i'm i'm worried about him because <laughs> today heat is important <laughs> yeah yes it is speaking of that when uh Walked into my building this morning for work and they looked at the thermostat and it said it was a lovely 40 degrees. So the heat was out. Something was going on. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I had that experience the other morning as well. My, uh, it's my pilot light kicked off. So I went, yeah. I went downstairs and it was like 47 degrees when it, cause we've got a, a heater upstairs. It went downstairs. It was 47 degrees. I was like, Oh Jesus. Somebody let the outside inside. Yeah, who left the door open? <laughs> exactly. But the good news is the Bearcats have been warm inside BB and they have. Arena. And uh, I'll just say it. Memphis is really bad. Oh, man. My God. Well, like, it, it's weird because they've managed to stay close with a couple teams. But that team that showed up at BB and T Arena on Sunday, that was not good. That, that was a bad look for the Memphis Tigers. Yeah, I mean... It, I agree, and I just, I kind of, you know, I kind of have followed the program, not closely, but, like, I have a good friend that's a big Memphis fan. You know, it, they've played UC for so long in various conferences that fans kind of can't help but, you know, follow certain teams a little closer than others. And it just sounds like it is about as bad as it could be at a program that, I never. I just don't think I ever would have expected it. I mean, basketball in that city is huge. Yeah. High school basketball is huge. The University of Memphis, from a basketball standpoint, has a long history. They play in a fantastic arena, and from everything that I've heard and read, it is just an utter disaster right now. It's not going well. I mean, that's a certainty at this point in time. It is not going well at all for Tubby Smith. And, I mean, that's a – it's a strange situation because that's such a strange city. There's so much talent, but there's so much crap you have to go through to get that talent on your campus. And Tubby's made it pretty clear he's not going to go that route. And that means you're playing at a severe disadvantage. That's why you take the Memphis job is to recruit Memphis. Well, that's the thing is, like, you can say you don't want to play in the crap. Then that's on the AD because everybody that follows college basketball knows 
that if you're going to get Memphis kids to stay at Memphis, you're going to have to play in the crap. Yep. So to hire someone like Tubby, who for better or worse has said, I'm not going to do that. That's on them. Yeah. I mean, I mean, no doubt about that. What I've, what I've read is they basically have one assistant coach who does all the recruiting. His son and another coach basically won't go anywhere and recruit unless it's like an open period for an AAU season. Uh, and it is just a disaster. And you're left to kind of wonder every day that, I mean, I know you're not going to do it because it's just never done, but like when you know it's the wrong fit, you have to make a move. And every day that he stays there, they're going to just get worse. And it's going to just put them in a bigger hole moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a terrible look. And them and, and UConn were supposed to be with Cincinnati, the anchors of this conference. And they have literally been an anchor. Yeah, they're an anchor, all right. Yeah, they, they were supposed to be the flagship, you know, the, the three flagship programs that carried this conference. And, and two of them are just trash right now. And, I mean, yeah, UConn might jump up and get somebody because they've actually got a decent level of talent. But that offense that they run right now, whatever they call an offense, is one of the, the worst <laughs> things I've that, ever seen. You yeah. just said that offense they run. Well, they like it's it, they run an offense. It's just there's third grade teams that run better offense. What did I what did I retweet the other day? There's like 347th in assist percentage in the country. Yeah. Not good. That's not good. But we'll talk about no. UConn another day. How about how about the the troll job of bringing the uh, throwbacks back out of the the closet and and going back at Memphis with the 92 throwbacks? Do you think that was done on purpose? How could it not be? Because they they wore them. The, the time that they were supposed to wear them last year was for the UConn game. Like that was, you know, the reunion and, and everything that went with it. And then at the end of the year, they brought them back out for Memphis, just like, yeah. hey, you guys remember these? And then they, this year again, they're like, oh, by the way, these were hanging in the uh, the back, and we thought we'd throw these on again just so you guys could see them one more time. No, like, I mean, I, I like it, but I, I don't – I mean – did they? I mean, I didn't watch. I was at the game, so obviously I didn't hear if they talked about it. And it's like kind of significance, but like obviously, no one really associated with the current program is going to have any idea that the correlation and yeah, and what those un- uniforms. Like. I mean, I just I didn't know if it was because it was like the first league game. I mean, I'm all for wearing them all the time. Obviously, Under Armour's not going to let them do that, but. I love them. I mean, they're they're still slick as ever. I love them. I, they just look so good. The red on those things pop so much. They're phenomenal. Um, but that's, I mean, overall, I guess, to talk about the performance, Cincinnati dominated. I mean, there was Memphis had no answer for anything Cincinnati did. They were a little rusty, as we expected, for the first, you know, 20 minutes or so of, of real time, uh, what the first 10 minutes or so of, of game action. And then once they got going, uh, that game was out of reach very quickly. And then what I like to see more than maybe my biggest takeaway from it was they didn't come out to start the second half and just kind of float. They came out, they put their foot immediately back on the gas, 14, six uh, spurt in the first four minute segment. And that game was toast from there. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I think they they ran out at the very end of the first half to be up by 19, and then I think it was 8-0 right away to start the second half. And, yeah, I mean, I I just think at the beginning of the game they were just missing a few shots. I mean, yeah. Gary missed one close, Kyle missed one close that, you know, they're probably going to make, you know, seven, eight t- times out of ten that just, you know, not used to being bumped maybe in a game-type setting when they're not going to call a foul, but there's you know, a little bit of contact, there's you up a little bit. But, yeah, their defense was able to kind of carry them at least a little bit in the first half in Memphis's uh, poor shooting, I guess, is one way of putting it. When so three of five players on the floor have shot air balls and the band can pretty much chant at any player that when they touch it, air ball, air ball, that, uh, that was probably one of the highlights of, of the day for me. But, yeah, I think it was nice to see a game that they knew – after that little five-minute run, probably at the end of the first half, this team ain't coming back. But, you know, it didn't just end up being a 20-25 point game. It was a no-doubter from the moment they started the second half. Uh, player takeaway, I did, biggest thing for me, good day for Trevor Moore. Um, you're going to need one of those two guys to step up, if not both of those two guys to step up, especially – uh, with Kane Broom sitting out with a sprained ankle. Um, and and Trevor Moore did what Trevor Moore does, bang down a couple threes, uh, had a nice driving layup in transition, and gave them, I thought, exactly, you know, kind of what they needed out of him in that in that situation. Can I tell a funny Trevor Moore story? Oh, I'm, you never have to ask permission to tell a funny Trevor Moore story. So uh, I normally sit with my mom and my aunt, at the games, the three of us. Well, this weekend we had some friends come in from Nashville. So the buddy of mine and I went and we kind of hopped around by them until all of our options got taken. So we went and stood in the end zone, kind of in the Braxton bar area. And we're sitting there just drinking a beer, watching the game. And I think it was his first three that that he attempted and he shoots it and he misses. And this guy just yells, don't shoot it. That's not what you're in the game for. That... And I looked at my buddy and I go, we have to move. And he's like, why? Well, I can't be by that because that is exactly right. why he's in the, <laughs> what he's in the game for. And he's unquestionably the best three-point shooter on the team. So for one of our fans to yell that that's not why you're in the game was – was just beyond me. And then of course, every time he made a three, we'd look at each other and go terrible shooter. Shouldn't be doing that. That's exactly why there's no other reason. Well, I will. Trevor's been a much better defender than, than was expected. And I, right. But he's not going in the game to lock down somebody. No, but I, I I will give him credit. He has not been one dimensional. There, there has been more to his game. You don't, you still don't want him really dribbling much. But no. uh, at this stage in his career, but um, that's a, a one. Everybody knows I love that kid, and and two, excellent job by Darren Sabino and the staff identifying a guy that was labeled a swack recruit, and getting him, you know, into the system and and getting him adjusted so quickly because I think there's going to be some like when I you know back in the summer when you're talking to people about. Who, who might redshirt? What's this guy's role? What's that guy's role? 
And when I, you know, when I asked about, you know, would there be any possibility Trevor would redshirt, the response was, look, at some point in time, we're going to be at Central Florida, and it's going to be a 48-47 game. It's, you know, because that's how they play, and they drag you down into the mud. And you want Trevor Moore to be able to come in and stretch out that defense. Yeah. And, you know, he looks like he's getting more comfortable with that, uh, situation with that role. So that was probably my biggest takeaway. Um, and, and Justin Jennifer was, was better as the, the primary point guard. And I still, I like how this team looks with Jacob Evans, a point guard. Oh, I did too. I did too. I thought they did that. And I think it was intentional because of just because of the McCain yeah. being out. I mean, I thought Jacob ran the point a lot and ran it pretty well. I mean, it granted again, I don't think Memphis is really uh, excited to play defense, so to speak. But I didn't see any issues there. I think I was I was happy to see. At least it seemed to me that um, Jaron was more aggressive offensively yeah. than than he had been maybe pre Christmas break. Got home, got some mom's macaroni and cheese for a couple of days. Got got himself uh, reinvigorated because he did look. I mean, I, one, I think it's really hard, and I've talked about this. I think it's really hard to say Jaron looks disinterested because he doesn't ever look interested. Like, that's that's not – there's never – like, his facial expression never changes. So – and his body language really never changes. It's just either he's playing well and you, you don't talk about it or you, you say it looks better when it's the same. Or he's not playing well, and and you jump to disinterested. The, the good news is he played better. Like he he was more active, more engaged. He was you know, and it it opens up for him when that jump shot starts falling, and he banged a couple well, of those in, and from there Memphis was you know he's hard to deal with when he does that. Right, and I don't think he's. I would. I mean, I, I don't think that I would ever say he looked disinterested. I thought there were a couple times. Sunday that he, you know, had them on the perimeter, head faked and went either all the way to the basket or, or, you know, attacked and then either passed or whatever. Then maybe over the previous couple of weeks, yeah, he just would have taken that. that, that three. So, and like we've talked about, very few guys are going to get in his way. Uh, when he's going to the basket, whether it's in the half court or the full court and, you know, with his, physical presence I think you also get a lot of help defense on him when he goes to the basket that helps uh you know find spot up shooters and if Trevor Moore can be hitting shots if Jake can be hitting shots if Kane can be hitting shots you know I think it benefits them greatly for him to continue to be that attacking guy first and then when they start to back off of you that's when he can start to you know work on the outside shot yeah I agree definitely agree there um Moving on, Temple, who is an absolute hot mess right now. They've lost three in a row. They got blown out by Georgia. They've lost their first two conference games. Um, they're not playing well by any stretch of the imagination. The only thing is that something up with is something up with Josh Brown. He doesn't look good. I mean, he doesn't look like the player he's supposed to be. I've kind of like I obviously I'm not watching like 40 minutes of Temple basketball, but the I mean obviously at the beginning of 
conference play, you kind of tune in to see what teams look like, and especially with UC playing them in their first couple of games. Every time I turn the game on, he's not even in. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're just trying to ease him into the, you know, the the grind of things, but, I mean, you've lost three in a row. Like, you kind of are what you are at this point in time, and their resume is really weird because they do have the wins over oh. Clemson and Auburn. They've got some terrible losses. They they just look out of sync. They don't they don't defend like a a team that plays for legendary coach Fran Dunphy. <clears throat> um, I was told I'm not allowed to make Fran Dunphy jokes anymore. Somebody said that on the board. Why? They're so fun. I know. That's what I said. Like, if I can't make Fran Dunphy jokes, I don't know that I want to continue living. I mean, the AAC is like the only league where a coach can win the conference coach of the year multiple times and his team doesn't go to the NCAA tournament. <laughs> like, Mick won 30 freaking games last year and couldn't even win it. <coughs> but Fran can win it like two years ago. When they went like 21 and 12 and didn't even make the tournament. Fran Dunphy. I, I, they're just weird because you know, well, one, the thing that they're, they're, they played Houston last, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. Sure. I want to get that right. Yeah. They lost by three. Yeah. Um, and they, they, they were, they shot terribly against Georgia outside of Obi who went seven for nine or some crap from three. Um, but so he sh- won't make one for the rest of the month now. Yeah. Um, they they shot terribly in their conference opener uh, when they lost to Tulane. And then shot pretty terribly for most of the game against Houston until the final five minutes. And then they started seeing the ball go through the net. And that concerns me a little bit of, you know, um, Shiz Alston, Quentin Rose, uh, starting to get there, you know, to see the ball go through the net, it can snap you out of that slump at times. And, I mean, you know a team on a three-game losing streak is going to fight tooth and nail. So it's not going to be an easy oh, yeah. It's not going to be an easy trip to Philadelphia at all. But Well, because, like, if they lose, they're 0-3 in the league with two of those losses at home. They're done. Yeah. They're done. Pretty much. So, I mean – yeah, I would expect nothing else. I just like to me, Gary and Kyle should have a, should have big games. Their interior is awful. Uh, Obi doesn't even want to play in the interior anyway. So, and then, I mean, I don't know what the deal is with Josh Brown. Quentin Rose has been playing well, but I wouldn't really call him someone that cares about defense. Uh, Shiz is obviously a pretty offensive-minded guy like they just want to get out and shoot threes they don't want, I mean and hope that they make a bunch that's how it's always been with them well I, I don't know I'd say always because a couple years ago I mean uh, up until this wave of guys got there they were good defensively no they did you're right they it's just been over the last probably two or three years where it seems like it's it's slacked off um well, they've from gone, what maybe they've, we were used to seeing they've recruited more offense Obviously, with the you know with what you just talked about, and uh, again, I it's one of those things where everybody talks about you know defense is easy to teach, and I agree that it's easier to teach than teaching a guy how to be just like a natural bucket getter. 
but that doesn't mean that you just instantly when a guy gets to college he goes from never being a defender to learning how to be a great defender that's well, not, it's a, not easy to it's not easy to care right and especially like you know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day and we were talking about Keith Williams kind of um I don't want to say struggle but his his defensive performance doesn't match like what his athleticism said it says it should be yet and we were talking about mixed defensive schemes and the system that he runs and that it's just not you don't just walk in off the street and all of a sudden you figure out how to play great high level defense there, there's there's an understanding and it's like, especially in, in this kind of swaying away from temple, but like, especially for Mick, like if you think about it, if they're playing the switching man to man, that means the second you get on the floor, you not only have to know the scouting report for your man, but every man on the court, because all it takes is one screen and you're guarding somebody else. And then another screen and you're guarding somebody else. And if you don't know, yeah, it's like you get you get switched on to a big guy, and you're you think like, oh, he's a big guy, he won't shoot. And this guy you report is actually like he's a big guy, but all he does is shoot threes. Right. And he hits two on you because you keep forgetting that that's the scout because you've switched four or five times in a possession, and now there's six seconds left, and big guy gets the ball, and he's gonna pull it because that's what he does when you think you know lay off and make let him shoot. Right. So it, it's complicated and it's not as easy as just get down in a stance and defend. It, it goes a lot deeper than that. And this group at Temple over the last two to three years, defensively, they've not been very good. And that's, you know, you go offensive minded players. Um, that Aflac guy is pretty much the only uh, defender that they've got. I know his name's a flack P or whatever, but Aflac just sounds better. I like Aflac. Yep. Um, Avlak, um, but it, it just, they're not, they're not as tough. They're not as, there's, there's not a whole lot of Philly when you watch them. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, but UC seems to never really shoot the ball very well there either. So yeah. it's, it's one of those games where you, you hope you can get out to a decent start and just kind of, you know, wear on them a little bit and take advantage of, I mean, I don't think they're very, Berg would know this obviously much better than me, but just in briefly watching them, they don't seem to be very efficient offensively. Unless they're throwing in every three that they hit. Right. But I mean, but that's, you know, that's just the way that it goes sometimes. But, you know, I think it'll probably be a fairly close game because they always usually are. And it's a road game. And, like we said, they, you know, they go zero and three in the conference. They're toast. And then Sunday, six o'clock, BB&T Arena, SMU Mustangs. And, and Berg and I talked about this last week, and I'm interested in your thoughts. I thought that they would still be pretty good. With what they lost, I didn't think they would gel this quickly and look like the team that they've been this early in the season. I thought this is what we would see from them late January into February, maybe. But right. they put the parts together pretty quickly and replacing some guys that were, in terms of where that program has been, legends in that program. Oh, yeah. Um, I feel kind of the same way. I'm, I'm a little surprised, like, a guy like Jure Foster's 
scoring the way he is. I never really saw him as that type of player. But, I mean, we all know that Shake can go. And Jamal McMurray can get buckets big time. So I think it's kind of one of those things with the, Dude, Dre the other Foster, parts. Dre Foster is like the number three three-point shooter in the country. What yeah, the he hell? Had, he had one of the – I was watching their game the other night against UCF, and he did have one of the most insane alley-oop dunks I've ever seen. I mean, that guy might be no. the most improved player in the country. He's shooting like so, 56% from three. That's pretty good. What the hell? Where did that come from with this guy? I don't know. They, they seem to always figure out someone like that. Like, uh, what was his name? Was it not last year or the year before? Ben. He's still on the team. Ben Ogamanu or whatever was like a, a 12% three-point shooter and made like three of them against UC. Well, yeah. But I'm talking about through like 14, 15 games. Right. Guy's shooting it out of his mind. That's going to be one, and, and Berg and I talked about this earlier today as he was traveling over the river and through the woods. Um, I, I don't I don't want to say I, I don't worry about them at home. I just don't worry about them at home nearly as much as I do when you play them in the Cracker Jack box that's Moody Coliseum. I, oh, of course. I mean, it says something when you have – UC and SMU have the two longest home winning streaks in the country. Right. I mean, you can talk about not being in the ACC or the Big East. You still got to win. Other teams have good nights and you have off nights. Yeah. Both of those teams have 30-plus home winning streaks. So, yeah, I mean, playing at SMU and playing at UC are hard places to play. I I think UC's depth this year might be a bigger help than in years past against them though because I I still think they're thin. Yeah, but we I mean we Maybe we not. keep saying that and it keep it's not it doesn't matter. They just play seven guys and they they don't get tired. Yeah, but do you think part of that has to do with pace at all? I mean, some but they don't. It's With not Justin like Justin and Kane and bringing Kane off the bench. If they sit Shake down and McMurray slides to the one, which they probably won't sit Shake down. But I'm just saying, like, if something were to happen and McMurray slides to the one, he's not interested in defense. So you know, where before we're bringing Justin in to to spell Troy, if Kane is healthy and you're bringing Kane in to spell Justin. I think that might be kind of like that little bit of punch that we've missed against them uh, in some of the previous games where when shots aren't going, we didn't have anyone else to turn to. Where now we do have, like you said earlier with Trevor, if he can come in and hit two threes. Or if Kane comes in and gets 10 or 11 points, that could be a big difference than that the team didn't have in the previous couple of years. Yeah, uh, no question. I just – I'm I'm done – banking on that they're going to get tired because I've for I've, like three seasons now, they just don't get tired. No, I don't even know if I mean it as like a tired thing, but if you can, if you can hit a team with some fresh guys and maybe they do go a couple minutes without a bucket, and you get six points um, out of, you know, your subs or whatever, then, you know, in a game like against them, that's another good team. That could be the difference. 
Yeah, I don't doubt that. I, I, but I, I just know, like I, you know, you you've looked at them on paper for a while now, and you think this and you think that, and then you play them, and none of that stuff ever comes to fruition, and they they don't get tired, and they don't, um, you know, kind of fall back in in those little windows of each half where you're you're going to your second team, like. It, it, they just don't hit those lulls very often. Um, so, no, I think that, that they've been very impressive, and, and that's going to be one. If they get out of Philly with a win and they can get through SMU, they can get on a serious roll through the rest of January. Right. So I think it's a it's a critical game in that light, you know, it, critical two-game stretch in that light. If you can get through this stretch – and show that, I mean, you know, maybe the Memphis game was an illusion, but I, I, they played really, really well in that game. Um, you know, maybe you, you find yourself kind of hitting stride and finding that rhythm where now you're starting to roll downhill and, and you can really pick up some steam heading through the, the early half of conference play. Oh, most definitely. I think it's a huge two-game stretch. Because, like you said, it sets things up to to really, like, go into the meat of your conference schedule and have a chance to, you know, run off, I don't know the number, but say six, seven in a row while, every, you know, while everybody else is battling other good teams and you can kind of work on some stuff, get in a groove, and hopefully then carry that over to the second half of the conference schedule. Which is much tougher. Oh, well, of course. Yeah, I mean, you're going to you'll have double ups with, Wichita State and UCF, right? Um, and just in the second half of the schedule. Now that first UCF game is in the first half, isn't it? Oh, it is. I know they've got that that double trip, the the two game swing to Florida, but I don't know right off the top of my head when ex- that might. I don't know. That might be in early February, so that might be on the, the second portion. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean the, the second half from. From memory, the second half is definitely uh, a little bit more of a, a grind than the first half, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. You you get you know, let's say you get to to nine and 10 and zero in the conference, and then you're kind of rolling. Let's take a look. Temple SMU. Oh no, that's coming up. That trip is coming up uh, the 13th and the 16th. Yeah, okay. So you'll get UCF early, but you go after SMU, you go at USF, at UCF, ECU at home, Temple at home, at Memphis, and then Houston at home to round out January. (coughs) So really, I mean, the UCF game will be tough. And this is assuming, you know, talking if we get through those, if UC gets through those this week with two wins, you would think you're going to get Temple at home at Memphis. You would think is not a problem, although um, they're probably going to be a little embarrassed by the way things turned out. I would expect a better game from them on Saturday, January 27th, and then January 31st uh, on a Wednesday night, you get Houston here to close out uh, January. So. You can get on a roll right there, and then going into February, you've got at UConn, UCF at home, at SMU, at Houston, Wichita State at home, and then UConn at home. 
So that right there, really, February 3rd to February 18th is the the core of the conference schedule. Yeah. And if you can get to that at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 0, you get halfway through with nine wins, you've got yourself in pretty good shape to, to compete for a conference championship. No, for sure. I mean, I think I would I would be pretty surprised I don't know. I mean, I, I still think UC is in grand. They're still not at full strength, but we just saw it this past weekend. UConn gave Wichita everything they wanted. Yeah. And for about, what, 35, 38 yeah. minutes? Yeah. So, I mean, I think if – I think I would be su- slightly surprised if whoever won the league had fewer than three losses. Yeah, fifteen and three sounds about right. Maybe fourteen and four, but I don't know that it gets to that. I think fifteen right. and three. Because I mean, realistically, say you see splits with SMU and Wichita, I struggle to see two other losses. Right. Unless things just go terribly wrong at some point. Well, yeah, I mean if something happens, right, but you can't, I mean, I'm just saying, taking it what it is right now. I agree. I think 15 and three. And I mean, if you go back, I think I predicted that UC and Wichita state would tie for the conference. Of course they would, because no other conference ties at the top, like the American athletic. (laughs) Um, Now you got anything else? Any, any other, uh, happenings around the AAC that you want to discuss here on this wonderful podcast? Um, no, I would like to say that Trey Young is ridiculous. Very good. Very good. He uh, he can play basketball, Trey Young. I knew he was good. I didn't know he was that good. Like, obviously in AAU, he played with Michael Porter, and, and Michael Porter's going to get all the attention and accolades. But, uh, man, Trey Young has been insane as a freshman. How – I mean, I don't, it, it's probably never happened, a freshman leading in the NCAA and scoring an assist. And he's one of those oh, dudes – he's putting up full game numbers each half he plays. Well, yeah, I mean, there was a game when they beat Wichita. So this was a couple weeks ago. They – on the telecast, they said he had had 29 or more points in eight straight games. Right. And at halftime, like, at halftime of every game. 22, 26 point, 22 assist game. At halftime of every game, he's got 19 points and seven assists. Like clockwork. It's ridiculous. I actually, and I'll, I'll leave his name out because he's fairly well known, but... I had a Kentucky fan tell me that he didn't think the Kentucky team would be much different if they had Trey Young at point guard. Compared to Quade Green? Right. Get out of town. Like that was that was said with a serious face? Straight face. Yeah, I think basically he was just trying to talk himself out of the importance of not of missing on Trey Young more than anything. So like, we don't really want the closest thing that college basketball has seen to Steph Curry. Because we got this other dude. Yeah, basically. 
Okay, cool. Well, I think Cal would still be focusing on the bigs, and I think that – well, then you should fire Cal. Then you think Cal's a terrible coach. Because <laughs> if that kid walked in the gym and starts doing what that kid's doing, guess what? Cal's going to be like, go, young man, go. Yeah, he's never really been one to hold guards back. So it's no. not like he'd tell him to – no, you need to get into the post and play inside out. He, he said to me, I think he would be just another version of Tyler Eulis. And I said, right. you're drunk. It's getting worse. That's even worse than saying that they wouldn't yeah, he be would, that much different. He would just be another version of Tyler Lewis. Day drinking is okay. probably Day drinking is probably not your thing, my friend. Let's uh, let's lay off of it. <laughs> Basketball is not really your thing. Yeah, this guy's pretty well known. Uh, I'll I'll leave it alone. <laughs> I'll leave it alone. Um, oh well. Yeah, I I don't really have anything else. I just felt like we needed to get one of these out um, with the big two games this week. And like I said, the studio is going to be down for about a week or so uh, until we get situated into the new place. So. Dave filling in for Justin and an admirable job. You're, you're there, there's no there's no replacing the Bergy Knights. Oh no, he's he's pouring over film probably right now, actually. He he might get smacked this weekend if he's pouring or this week if he's pouring Something over film. Something that I will not do. So he is no doubt a better man than me. Hey, he takes the job very seriously. And he loves the Bearcats. Well, someone's got to take it seriously if the other two options are you and I. <coughs> right. <coughs> I, uh, yeah, you, you hit the head, the nail on the head with that one. But uh, unless you've got a uh, – did you buy any big baller gear? Did they send you any of the wrong stuff? No, no big baller gear. Uh, my brother did buy my mama knockoff big baller stay in your lane t-shirt for Christmas. <laughs> Great. Uh, like right before they shut down whoever was making them on like eBay or Amazon or whatever, because as you can imagine, a woman in her you know early 60s just loves LeVar Ball and all that he is about. She does have a stay in your lane T-shirt now. She does. I'm sure she will never wear it, but that did, is neither here nor there. Did you listen to the last skinny pod? Uh, I don't think I did. So so Rick got, he ordered a big baller brand sweatshirt. Oh, like so he bought the real thing for like a hundred and fifty dollars or was, whatever. It was fifty bucks, and he and he gets it. He ordered like the red, white, and blue colorway. Yeah. He gets it. It's all black. <laughs> and he pulls it out of the box, and guess what the tag says? I don't know. Gildan. Oh God. So it, literally, like it was, a, it was a bootleg of their own product, and it was like you could see where it was screen pressed in, and it had. But like, he bought it off off of the big oh, yeah. website. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And they sent him a bootleg of their own material, of their own merchandise. Holy cow! It was it was like silver. The triple B was like silver, and like next to the last B, there was like a little bit of ink. That had like bled over from the the bootleg press machine that they had used, and the the letters were kind of faded and weren't really 
done right, like in every facet, it was complete bootleg. And he bought it from bigballer.com. So is, is he, I mean, I think this will be futile, but is, is he making an attempt to reconcile this? Oh, no, that's the irony of it is, is phenomenal. Now, where I would be pissed, oh, like, yeah. I don't know if you've seen some of the, the Twitter videos. They're doing this with the shoes. They're not sending people what they ordered, and they're just sending them random sizes. Like, oh, my God. KFC from Barstool um, ordered like a 10, 10 and a half. They sent him like a 13 and a half and the completely wrong like colorway shoe that he ordered. And that, like that's I don't think anybody that ordered anything from them actually got like what they ordered. Right. Which is phenomenal. Just yeah. phenomenal. And everybody's just like, eh, well, you know, I guess you buy something off LeVar Ball. That's kind of what you got to expect. Uh, yeah, I mean, you kind of <laughs> get what you get with, the, with that situation. I'm sure his I'm sure his sons had a lovely Christmas in Lithuania. No, I think they left today. Oh, today. Yeah, they 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 spent Christmas at the uh, palatial Big Baller Estate in uh, California, and then headed out to Lithuania. Nice. I can't imagine what will go wrong. What's the over under on that lasting? Three weeks. Seems high. Yeah, I mean it might be two and a, if I set two and a half weeks, are you taking the under? No, I'd still probably I'd probably take the over a week of like total dumbfoundedness of what's going on, then a week of like oh crap, we're like actually in Lithuania, and then that third week is is the process of getting out of Lithuania. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's gonna wrap it up. I don't think we have anything left to get to. Bearcats uh, travel to Temple on Thursday, SMU at BB&T Arena Sunday at 6 o'clock as the uh, the best team in Kentucky continues through American Athletic Conference play. He's Dave Simone. Thank you for filling in this week, my good sir. I'm Chad Brendel. We will see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.